Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's always an absolute pleasure to have a young reporter from the College Fix. This is somebody in college doing great reporting, uncovering things that are happening on campuses that you and I might be paying for. This time it's Hudson Crozier. Had him on uh, before and uh, and glad to have you on again from University of North Texas. Hudson, how are you? Good to see you. Doing good, Joe. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really a pleasure to have you back. So uh, it's in Denton, Texas. As we look at Texas, is that like the left-hand panhandle? Where is that? Um, it's definitely in one of like the blue dots of Texas. It's kind of like Austin or Houston. Yeah, pretty so, much. So it is, it is, it is a blue dot. So you're living in a college town and it's pretty much going to be blue, but that also means it's probably surrounded by a bunch of rural area. That's deep red. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's got like Roanoke right on the border. All right. So, well, well, very cool. Dan. What are you studying there? Journalism. And, and how's that going? You're going to be a journalist when you get out. You want to do print, you want to do TV, you want to do radio. What do you want to do? I'm probably going like the digital route, but I'm dabbling in some broadcast as well. You know, when I say magazine, when I say writing, when I say newspapers, that's just proves how old I am. Digital means that you would write digitally, maybe do some video work as well. Digital um, basically means like the online version of print and it's like just writing and, gotcha. and, and like managing the website. Broadcast means video or radio. Okay, I got you. Cool. I mean, I, I consider broadcast all of that, to be honest with you, because I'm mm-hmm. not doing digital. I'm doing uh, terrestrial. I'm doing television. I'm doing uh, podcasts. I'm doing all that stuff. And I think yeah, you have to. I, I think you kind of have to, because if you don't, 30 years goes by, and suddenly none of that exists anymore. It's only the next <laughs> thing. So I like that you're getting into that angle of it. Now, are, have you graduated? Do you have, you have more time to go? No, I got a little ways to go. Okay. And you're going to graduate with, a, with a, what, a master's or BA, BS? What are you going to graduate with? Bachelor's. Okay, cool. Well, listen, good luck with that, man. Um, I've never been to University of North Texas, never been to Denton. We'll have to check it out sometime. Is it decidedly different weather-wise? Like, it's about 88 here in the San Antonio area today. Wait, wait, what is it there? Do we know? No, not too different. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm actually not, like, living there anymore, but, okay. uh, you know, I spent plenty of time in Denton. It's, you know, pretty much the same, just okay. hot as that. <laughs> I'll, I'll bet. No, that's. I mean, that's absolutely true. We're actually getting more rain this year, which is odd. All right, let's get into the stories. Um, Democrats outnumber Republican graduation speakers. We know that. I mean, uh, in in fact, if you have a Republican or a conservative speaker that's lined up, they might have to cancel because Antifa or somebody's going to try to shut them down. But you guys actually analyze it. Tell me what you found out. Yeah. So at um, all the major universities uh, this year, this spring, are they're hosting. About 19 Democrat or otherwise left-leaning speakers at their graduation commencement ceremonies versus uh, three uh, conservative-leaning speakers. And so we uh, we analyzed it, and one of the conservative speakers is uh, Mark Keenum, who was a former appointee of George W. Bush and Donald Trump, and he's just speaking at the Mississippi University where he's president. And so it's kind of like that almost doesn't even count in a sense. It's not like an outside institution inviting him to speak. And so, yeah, basically the data that we pulled together here just really supports the idea of the liberal bubble 
in higher education. You are far more likely as a graduate uh, to hear a speech from a liberal speaker. Is it because the administration and the professors all lean liberal, which they do, or is it because there's a fear that if you invite more conservatives, there's going to be unrest? For some reason, we conservatives don't go nuts when there's a liberal speaker, but the liberals go nuts when there's a conservative speaker. Yeah, there's probably a little of both. I mean, yeah, I, I, I remember Ben Shapiro talking about like just the massive security that he has to get for all of his events and, you know, people like Matt Walsh. Yes, yeah, it's, it's probably a little bit of both. In fact, at my campus, uh, when somebody had a Republican political candidate come and talk about banning child sex changes, I mean, it's like all hell broke loose. Like the protests, there, there was police. They chased this girl into a janitor's closet, and <laughs> it made national news last year. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be that, and then also just the bias of the people choosing these speakers. No, and, and that's exactly right. I think you're talking about Riley Gaines. We've had her on several times. Um, if, you're, if you're not, a similar situation happened with her in San Francisco. Um, at the end of the day... You have people that are not tolerant who actually say they're the tolerant ones. Those who are fascists saying they're the anti-fascists, which doesn't make any sense. And I hope that a, a young person like you with a voice like yours can continue to unravel that and show people the actual truth compared to what the, what the narrative is. It is uh, Hudson Crozier. Uh, he's from the College Fix. Go and check him out there. Um, Governor defunds Indiana University Sex Institute founded by Alfred Kinsey. I think we talked a little bit about this last time where they were thinking about getting rid of this. I know that a lot of the education that we have on human sexuality came from these studies, but we're also finding out some really, really bad things that this guy may have been into. Yeah, I mean, it's not really finding out anything new about Alfred Kinsey's studies in the 40s and 50s. It's just stuff that we've always known because he just published it in plain sight. And uh, it's just kind of finally boiling over. And so, yes, the Indiana legislature passed this version of the budget that defunds the Kinsey Research Institute on like sex, gender and reproduction, I think it's called. And then the governor signed the budget. So it's no more. And uh, yeah, the some of the controversial stuff that Kinsey studied, um, he interviewed a child rapist to learn more about supposed child sexuality. And that included uh, take, taking from his journal, the journal of the rapist and like documenting basically the sexual abuse of a bunch of children with these sort of euphemistic clinical terms like pre-adolescent sex play and wow. whatnot. And so the legislators found a problem. They had a problem not only with that legacy, but with some of the Institute's current activities in the area of like sex and gender research. Um, there was another legislator that pointed out that she had to take a continuing medical education program at the Institute and they were teaching her and other practicing nurses how to put puberty blockers in children. And then um, uh, someone else pointed out that they have this Kinsey Reporter app, which allows researchers to, it, it allows anonymous users to post descriptions of their sexual encounters so that researchers can like track them across the globe and they post anonymously. And so this one legislator basically said, well, what's exactly stopping you from recording data on the rape of children just like Alfred Kinsey did? And wow. so, yeah. No, that's pretty sick. Um, and this was out there in plain sight the entire time? The stuff in the original Kinsey reports, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, for, for the, my first article on when they were considering the defunding, everything I pulled from was just reading the original Kinsey reports. Wow. 
Uh, well, I'm glad they're defunding it then. Uh, and again, Kinsey has been held up as some sort of a uh, an advanced you know human sexuality expert, but all this stuff was never ever highlighted in anything they ever talked about this guy. I'm glad that you reported on this. I'm glad the Indiana um, government did the right thing here. It's uh, Hudson Crozier. He's from the College Fix. Go to the College Fix dot uh, com. It is the College Fix dot com, right? It doesn't really matter. College Fix. Or oh, it, college it, fix. It, both, both will get you there. Okay, very oh, okay. good. If you're talking about the URL, I guess it's the college fix. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, I am. Yeah, I want people to be able to go to the website, see what you do, see what your 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 other correspondents there do as well. University of Florida class examines white terror in Frankenstein and other classics. Now, uh, we did this story in my show two weeks ago, something like that, and my question was very simple: Who's the white supremacist? Who's Who's the marginalized person? Who's the intersectional person? This is a monster made by dead body parts. Uh, I'm I'm confused how we made a race out of this. Fill me in. Well, apparently the argument with the Frankenstein monster um, in this African-American studies course was that the monster itself in Mary Shelley's original Frankenstein book was uh, somehow a racist caricature of a black person. But Frankenstein is just the one, the, the story, the particular book that we highlighted in our headline. But this whole course examines the whole horror genre and various classics by like Edgar Allan Poe and others. And basically takes all these classics that are not overtly about race in any way and just kind of interprets it in this Marxist context of like racial power dynamics. I don't understand. So we're making Edgar Allan like the raven was a black bird. Is that what they mean? I'm not sure I understand. And, and Frankenstein, again, did not look in any way to me like any race of person or any ethnicity of person. It was actually a big, ugly hodgepodge of dead body parts that he somehow brought to life. Uh, if there's nothing overt, why do we have to find racism when there isn't any there? Do, do they talk about why they even bring this up? Are they trying to get rid of the horror genre? Do they want us to apologize for things that weren't racist but they feel are? Do you know what the end game is when they say things like this? Well, the syllabus of the course, which we looked at, says that they just want to analyze the horror genre based on, quote, racial identity and oppression. And it's basically showing this whole timeline of how supposedly uh, white authors and cinematographers basically had this racist outlook on everything. And they kind of used the horror genre to portray black people badly with Frankenstein, for example. And then later on, Black people used the horror genre to kind of lift themselves up or something. And when it gets into the modern era, it, it analyzes a book by this uh, black queer feminist author and how her book is important for, I think it said, queering personhood in the neo-slave narrative. Uh, your guess is as good as mine as far as what that means. Yeah, no clue. I mean, I honestly got I think they're making up words knowing that we won't know the meanings of them. But because so many people walk around with white guilt, they go, oh, yeah, no, I completely understand. And I, I feel for where you're coming from. I don't say that. I just say, listen, there's no such thing as a microaggression. There just isn't. Uh, intersectionality is stupid. Uh, and, and, and then we could have the discussion about individual issues that you might have a problem with. But just to generalize the horror genre and say, you know, for all these years, it was based on racism when there was no racism. Now, I will tell you this. I'm not even trying to be funny. In the 1980s, horror films, if you were a black guy in the horror film, most likely you were going to die first. If you were the hot chick, you would die with your shirt off. I mean, this is what they did. I mean, they had a certain formula, and, and I would almost hear them on that one, why couldn't the black guy be the savior? Maybe I'll hear them. But to suggest that Edgar Allan Poe and Frankenstein somehow are racist, it just, it's, it's stupidity. 
the problem is, and, and here's the thing. I think that the professors know that it's stupidity. They know that they're making it up, but they want a job. They want professor, funding for it. Exactly. Just one, just one professor. Okay. This whole thing. Okay, so this, this <laughs> professor uh, wants the job, wants the money, and wants some sort of revenge mentality. My problem is people your age who go into the class and agree with it. And they're almost forced to agree with it or else they get a bad grade, right? Well, that's not what the syllabus claims. You know, uh, Fox News actually picked up this story and cited our article, and they got, they got Governor Ron DeSantis' office to respond. And um, they basically said, well, because, you know, they have the Stop Woke Act, which is currently right. pending because of courts. But, you know, it prevents colleges from basically having any teaching that demonizes a particular skin color. And... Um, so, you know, they kind of threatened to crack down on it without really getting into the specifics of this course. Okay. But they just kind of said, in general, we, we target that kind of stuff. I don't know what's going on in this course. And, and curiously, in the syllabus that we looked at, um, we don't know if it's in reference to the Stop Woke Act, but it, it, there's this bolded and underlined section of the syllabus, this whole paragraph that just emphatically states, this course is not intended to uh, convey or compel a particular viewpoint on anything at all. Like, please don't hurt us. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the whole purpose of the course, to be honest. All right, uh, if, if they say so, we'll see. If somebody gets an F because they disagreed with the, with the professor, we can come back and, and circle back to the story. It's, it's Hudson Crozier from The College Fix. Uh, make sure you go check out everything that these young reporters do over there. Feds Award UPenn, Joe Biden's favorite college, uh, $406,000 to study racial ethnic health inequities from COVID. Um, the, the whole UPenn, I think UPenn should stop taking any money because it, it appears, and this is me saying it, not you, to be awfully dirty and in the pockets of the Bidens. I mean, they gave Biden a million dollars to be a professor. He didn't teach one course. Um, and and he, they, they had all of his classified, you know, at the UPenn Biden Center, his classified documents were illegally there. But they're taking almost a half a million dollars and they're studying racial and ethnic health inequities. What is this? Yeah, so I discovered this federal grant from this um, institute that's part of the National Institutes of Health, NIH, you know, Fauci, <laughs> um, yeah. that uh, gave over 400 grand to this medical school at the University of Pennsylvania to study um, how to resolve racial disparities in nursing care based on data from the outbreak of the COVID pandemic and looking at how different hospitals across the country uh, uh, responded to COVID in like different, you know, underserved communities or whatever. And uh, so they hope that this data will inform other hospitals to uh, ensure, like, the allocation of health resources to diverse backgrounds and this sort of vague language. And so what I wanted to know is, um, you know, what exactly does that does that mean? Because the whole thing, it's full of equity this, equity that. And the Biden administration has repeatedly pushed programs, including, like, government, government relief programs, that exclude whites, you know, based on like racial equity. And right. those have gotten stopped by federal courts because they're like the most plain example of racial discrimination. And so um, I, I asked the branch of the NIH that's funding this, you know, how, how exactly is this data, data going to be used for, in terms of like public health, you know, government policy? And they just said, well, you know, because the study is ongoing and it's not finalized yet, we cannot not speculate is what they said. Well, you could have given me $400,000, and I could have told you the law of the land, which was if anybody needs medical care, they go to an emergency room. By federal law, the emergency room has to take them. I'm not sure what they're talking about as far as inequities. This is going to go back to insurance somehow, but I thought Obamacare took care of that. Um, we, you know what they don't do? And this is, again, me just opining. They don't go into the communities that are so-called underserved or not getting the right medical care and find out why it's happening there. Because it's not about racism. 
it, it's about something going wrong in the the foundation of the community where they're not making enough money, not getting insurance in time. They're, they're not they're not they don't have nuclear families many times. Um, and now we're trying to solve it by putting money in, saying, well, it's inequitable or it's racist somehow or it's marginalized. And, and again, they're not solving anything. They're just throwing more of our taxpayer money at a study that, as you just reported, they can't even tell you what they're doing yet. Yeah, well, the NIH doesn't know, doesn't know what they're going to do with it yet. But um, the uh, Pennsylvania professor who's behind this whole project, um, we, based on looking at her past work and kind of her academic pro- profile, seems to think that, you know, racial disparities in healthcare and these unequal outcomes are due to systemic racism. And so that's motivating all her work here. And we got a comment from Stanley Goldfarb, who is the former former associate dean at this exact medical school, who now runs a group called Do No Harm. And he basically just told us the whole thing seems silly to me. Um, you know, it's just pretty straightforward about how, about how to resolve these disparities. And also, you're not you're not really going to get to the bottom of these disparities if you don't look at, you know, certain social factors or or individual decisions that patients make, all sorts of things that can cause disparities. Gotcha. It's Hudson uh, Crozier. Go and follow. Where, where can they follow you? Do you have a Twitter? Do you have an Instagram? What do you want to put out there? Yeah, yeah. I got a Twitter. Just look up my first and last name, Hudson Crozier. I'm on College Fix, Upward News, and, and uh, yeah, I'm all over the place. Uh, Crozier, C-R-O-Z-I-E-R. Go and follow him right now. Hudson, thanks. Good to see you again. Let's do it again soon. Thanks a lot for having me. Hi, brother. Take care. We're back after this. Stay right here. This is the Joe Pag Show. Appreciate the hard work from these young reporters over the college fix. Great to have them on. There's so much un, un, unraveling today. So much being unveil, unveiled in Washington with the Republicans and the, the Democrats actually going at it. One party running everything is not is not always the best way. Yeah, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene today filed the articles of, of impeachment or were said she was going to um, against Joe Biden. We'll get into that in depth tomorrow. A bunch of more stuff tomorrow as well. But first, some pop culture. Whoop. All right, Paula, what's happening? So the other day we talked about uh, Priscilla Presley and, and the Elvis Presley estate. Yes. I guess settling and everything, right? Yeah. So when they were negotiating, one of the things that Priscilla Presley threw out there was that she was hoping or asking if she could be buried next to Elvis there in Graceland, but she got denied. Really? Yeah. But, and I guess she kind of knew... That, that it would get denied because on either side of him, I guess it's his parents. So she technically couldn't get buried next to him anyway. Yeah, that's true. So that's but, true. But, but she did say that you know that it's her wish and her family's wish that you know when and if you know that ever happens for her that she'd like to be buried next to her daughter and and the love of her life. I got so. you. All right, Polo. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. I'm Joe. We're back tomorrow. Bye. This is the Joe Pegg Show. Thank <laughs> you.